We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. If you are new here, good welcome, uh, guys. Uh, we have, over the last couple of weeks, been in a series entitled Thrive, uh, Five Essentials Every Man Needs. And uh, week one, if you missed it, uh, we said we need power to live on. Uh, week two, last week, said I need rules to live by. Guys, we all need rules to live by. Uh, we don't like rules, but we all need them. And today I want to talk to you about this. We all need a plan to live out. So I need uh, power to live on, uh, I need rules to live by, and today I want to talk to you about I need a plan to live out. Now, uh, what is my plan? And as we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, the idea of thriving, not just surviving, uh, that we have five essentials that every one of us need. Uh, you know, if you go and ask different people, depending on uh, what their occupation is, what do you need to survive and what do you need to thrive, they're all going to give you different answers. Uh, if you go by ask a biologist, they're going to say you need air, you need food, you need water, and you need light. Uh, if you go ask a chemist, uh, someone that's a chemist, what do you need to survive? They're going to give you a bunch of trace minerals for your body, uh, amino acids and different proteins and uh, all of those different things. If you, if you ask a teacher, what do you need to survive in this world? Uh, they're going to say reading, writing, and arithmetic or something like that. Depending on uh, who you ask, that's going to be, uh, that's going to determine what kind of an answer you get if you're really going to thrive in this world. But for us, I think as uh, men who want to make sure that we thrive, we really want to go to God's Word. And we want to find out what are these essentials that I need to not just survive, not make sure that I, uh, I make it through the day or make it through the week or make it through the month or make it through the decade or make it through my life, but how can I instead, how can I survive and thrive? And so that's what we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I need power to live on. I need rules to live by. And today I want to talk to you about I need a game plan uh, that I can live out. What is my game plan for life? And so let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, I want to look at a couple of verses that you might not realize these are really the plan that we can live out. These verses include the plan that we can live out. Notice what Paul says. He's talking to the Ephesian believers. He says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And he goes, And this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast at all. He says, For, here's the plan, For we are God's handiwork, we're God's craftsmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so from those verses, I want to talk to you about a game plan to live out. How do we live out our lives? How do we journey forward? Um, you know, as we think about making plans, uh, some people, how many of you in here truly consider yourself a planner? I mean, you have planned things out ahead. Go ahead, raise your hand. All right. Uh, how many of you would say, uh, I just kind of wing it every day? All right. How many of you would say you're somewhere in between the planner and the winger? All right. You know, that, that's probably uh, representative of who we are. You know, they basically say there's three kinds of plans. There are some people that plan ahead, right? That I've got everything planned out. There are other people, and this is kind of the where I am, the category that I am. There are those who live life planning to think quickly. Whatever comes my way, I'm just going to be quick on my feet, right? And then there are others who live their lives. I'm going to wait and see what happens. 
And they're not really planning. There are others, and so really we're all, we have all of those kind of spectrums. You can be a plan ahead guy, but the truth is plans change. Uh, you can be a wait and see guy, uh, and sometimes you get up, get, end up getting caught in the world's net and you're trying to struggle to get out. There are those who are always walking with such a way and in, this, in such a way, short-term planners, that I plan to think quickly and I'm going to make quick decisions when uh, it comes my way. Which one's right, which one's wrong? Uh, man, I, I don't know, but the truth is you need some sort of plan to survive and thrive each and every day. As we think about this passage, I love uh, anybody in here watch uh, UFC at all? UFC, any mixed martial arts. Okay, a couple of you raise your hand. I do. I enjoy it. It's just amazing to me uh, that you know, it's one thing to watch boxing. It's one thing to watch uh, other, uh, you know, Olympic wrestling. It, it it amazes me that there are people who walk into a ring, have the gate and door shut behind them, and they know someone, one of us, is about to go to sleep. I mean, that, that's kind of an How many of y'all are at least a little bit impressed with that? And you never know why. I mean, and they all walk in there with the plan. Some of them, they know that their plan is, I'm going to allow the other person to take me down. I'm going to get on my back. I'm going to let you rain down elbows and blows on me, but eventually I'm going to spin around and I'm going to choke you. Anybody ever seen people that do it that way? Looks like the guy's losing, 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 losing. All the other, all of a sudden the other person's asleep. There are some people that they're the wrestler. They're going forward. There are some people that are, that are strikers. It's amazing to me. Uh, there is a female uh, that is out there, Chris Cyborg. Anybody ever, uh, man, she's amazing. She just destroys everyone. And um, when I was talking about plans, one of the quotes that jumped up for her, which is, is one that I've heard in different places and different times, and it was, um, they were asking her, I guess a couple of fights ago, what's your plan? Do you have a plan to fight this opponent? And she was pretty honest. She goes, absolutely. She goes, I go into every fight with a plan, but the first time I get hit in the face, the plan changes. You know, because you go in there with the plan, and guys, we do this, don't we? Here's my plan. I'm going to do this. I'm going to work at this. Uh, here's my plan. But what happens when we get hit in the face? What happens when the world changes my plans? What happens when corporate changes plans and you're no longer in the plans? Uh, what happens when uh, the doctor changes your health plans? You're not as healthy as you thought, so there's a change of plans. The question is, when we get hit in the face, uh, what happens then? Do we shrink back? Uh, do we think quickly? Do we change our direction? Do we do something different? Or do we keep going ahead? Because there is a reality, uh, even in her statement, uh, there are some times that we get hit in the face by the world, and that doesn't mean we're supposed to change anything. That's just the way the world is, right? Sometimes the question is, are we willing to continue to pursue God and pursue the plan even when the world hits us in the face? Uh, are we going to quit? And so what your particular journey is, I can't tell you. Uh, where you are in your space and your season in life, I can't necessarily tell you. I don't know if you need a new plan. I don't know if you need to stick to the plan. Uh, I don't know if you need to go get help 
with having someone else help you change the plan, but I do know that there's some principles that we see in this passage here, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10, that tell us generally what God's plan is for us, all right? So let me give you a couple of thoughts on your plan, and you can write these down, and we try to uh, record these and post them uh, as we go along, so if you miss one of these. Uh, when I think about my plan for life that I need to live out, here's thought number one. My game plan for life has to start with the grace of God. My game plan for life absolutely has to start with the grace of God. Notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Let me ask you a question. What do you think your chances are of getting to heaven? How many of you think uh, that your chances of getting to heaven are less than 50%? How many of you think your chances for getting to heaven are greater than 50%? How many of you think uh, your chances of getting to heaven are greater than 75%? How many of you think your chances of getting to heaven are greater than 90%? You're a bunch of holier-than-thou guys. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a trick question, right? Because when you look in God's Word, whether you get to heaven or don't get to heaven, it's not a sliding scale. It's not a 50-50 ordeal. Uh, it's not a 75%. But I'll tell you, as you journey through life, and, and you ask somebody uh, who doesn't know what Scripture says about the true grace of God uh, and being uh, uh, able to simply accept the grace of God by faith because what He did. If you go into your office today or those around you and you ask them, what do you think your chances are? You're going to get an answer. You're going to get a sliding scale answer from most people. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And if you get in that coffee shop uh, conversation and you say, oh, about 50-50, uh, people are going to look at you and go, okay, Okay, that's okay. If you go in there and tell them I'm a hundred percent, what are they going to think? You're holier than thou. You think you're better than everybody else. Now, I want you to know if you're having a cup of coffee and someone doesn't know about the true grace of God, and you ask them what do you think your chances of getting to heaven are, and they say zero, I'm going to tell you to run. What kind of monster are they, right? I mean, if they, you're like, I don't know what you do when I don't see you, but I don't want to be around you. Because that's the world thinks, right? 50-50 seems to be an acceptable answer. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not the worst person in the world. I'm not the best person in the world. But I want you to know that's a trick question. Because when we come to God's Word, whether I get to heaven or don't get to heaven is not a sliding scale. There are some people that uh, I do remember reading, reading this a while back. Uh, they were asking, doing one of those question on the street type people. What do you think your percentages of, get to heaven, of getting to heaven are? That there was a guy that probably in his mid-50s. And he says, well, the older I get and the better I get, the more chance I think I have of getting there. What was he saying? Hey, when I was back in my 20s, I didn't have much of a shot because of the way I was living. 
How many of you know that's the way most people think about heaven, right? But as I get older and I get more mature and uh, I trim off some of those rough edges and uh, I, I begin to be nicer and kinder and I'm helping little people and I'm buying, you know, I'm buying lemonade from kids who are raising money for a, for a good uh, cause or I buy Girl Scout cookies, all of a sudden I'm doing better and better at getting to heaven. But I want you to know, guys, getting to heaven is not a sliding scale. Notice what Paul says. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. If you want to take some notes, that word grace, it's pretty simple. It means unmerited merit. It means unearned earnings. It means something I don't deserve, but I was given anyway. There's an acrostic. My guess is uh, uh, everyone in here has heard it, or at least have heard me say it. An acrostic for grace is pretty, pretty much God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. What does that mean? The grace of God comes to me as unmerited merit. The grace of God comes to me as unwon winnings. The grace of God comes to me as unachieved achievements. And the grace of God comes to me as unearned earnings. In other words, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I should have died there. Justice says that should have been me. When Jesus looked into heaven and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, he was essentially saying, God, forgive John Mark because I'm dying for his sins because he doesn't know what he does. Then he also a little later said, it is finished. That means the price has been paid in full. It means the sins that I commit, the sins that you committed, have already been paid for on the cross. And that's why Paul says, for by grace. That's God's riches at Christ's expense. You and I can have forgiveness, can have heaven, can have eternity, can have a relationship with God, not based on anything that we have done, or any merit that we have earned, or any good deeds that we have journeyed with, or, or been kind enough, or some of the rough edges even that we've, we've carved off over the years. It's because of what God has done. That's what grace is. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. But then notice he says, For by grace you have been saved. Boy, that word saved means that we were lost. That, um, that we had no hope. That we were desperate. That, uh, I don't know if you uh, followed much of the story uh, over the weekend of the tugboat that got sucked up into that uh, hurricane that was out there. Uh, and, and basically that, uh, was it, NORAD uh, uh, plane was called to go look for them. I think they ended up saving a couple of those guys, like four of those guys that, that, that their tugboat had, had lost. There were 16 guys that went over. Last I heard, they found four of them. Man, at that point, you had a plane that was going to look in that eye of the hurricane to see how strong it was, and they were, they were diverted. They were diverted to go and do something else, and they found the plant, they found the ultimate boat. Ultimately, they saved four of those guys in there. Well, the truth is, that's what it means to be saved, that, that our ship has sunk, that we're in the middle of the ocean, we have no shot at surviving and swimming back to shore. The only thing that can happen 
is someone come and rescue us. That's the word that saved means, is that there is no shot that we are lost, that we are sinking, that we are desperate, that there is nothing we can do apart from the grace of God to earn our salvation. I love what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He says, but God demonstrated His own love towards us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Man, and if you thought, think about grace, that's grace upon grace. Did you notice what he said? He says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait for you and I to shape up before he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. How many of you love that? That's kind of the way we operate, right? We, we want to see before we reach out to someone or love someone or encourage someone, we want to see if they'll shape up, right? If they'll fit into our pattern, if they'll fit into our mold. God didn't do that with us. Paul says God's demonstration of love was this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so what is our effort involved in, in my game plan that starts with the grace of God? It says, for by grace, God's riches at Christ's expense... We are saved, we cannot save ourselves, by faith. That's faith. In other words, all I can do is trust and believe that God has already taken care of it. I can't do anything. You can't join a church. You can't do enough good things. You can't uh, have a good enough plan. Uh, I can't plan in more good works in my day than bad works. I can't do any of those things that are ultimately going to save me. All I can do is receive by faith what God has already done. So guys, if we're going to thrive in this world, first thing we have to understand is that my game plan always starts with the grace of God. Has there been a time in every guy's life in this room that you've come face to face with the grace of God and your own sinfulness and your inability to work your way to heaven or be good enough to get to heaven? See, getting to heaven is not a sliding scale, guys. You can come to as many of these Bible studies as you want and you'll never be good enough to earn your way to heaven. None of us will. I will promise you, I want you to know as your pastor, I can't teach enough of these Bible studies and do enough good as your pastor to earn my way to heaven. It's not a sliding scale. Heaven comes one way and only one way. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're going to thrive, it starts, guys, by understanding that my game plan, it starts, first of all, with the grace of God. Now, let me look as we continue to read. Second thing is my game plan or my plan for life is a gift from God. Not only does it start with the grace of God, it's a gift of God. If you continue to read on, it's for, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Man, my, my game plan to thrive in life starts with the grace of God, but it also under, I have to understand that it's a total gift from God. I love what one theologian put uh, as we think about that. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Here's the way one commentator put it. Put it. Good works flow from what God does in us 
rather than God's work in us flowing through our good works. We need to understand that, man, understanding that my salvation is not of ourselves, it's a total gift from God, that ought to compel me and propel me to do something for God. So my game plan starts with the grace of God, but it also is a gift from God. Now, what do I do as I journey through life? If I can't earn my salvation, if I can't do anything that will allow God to save me, do I then totally ignore good works? No. Because my life is a gift of God. Once I have been saved, guys, every one of us needs to see every day, every opportunity, every conversation as a gift from God that I can live in such a way that I'm in my imperfect way pointing to a perfect God. That every encounter that I have, every conversation that I have in my own imperfect way, and we are all imperfect, that I am pointing to the perfect God. When you enter into the office today, do you see yourself and will you acknowledge that, listen, my plan today is to do what? Point to God. As best I can, I want to point to God and how I work, how I operate, how I have a conversation, how I live, uh, how I might make my journey. Man, that's a gift from God. What you do for a living, what you do today, whether you're retired or whether you're, uh, whether you're a parent or whatever it is, it's a gift from God. Man, the more we see that God has given us life as we have it, the more we'll enjoy it. The more we won't just see it as drudgery and drudgery and a struggle to roll through, but we'll say, man, I've been given the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, so eternity is settled. I don't know how much time I have here, but whatever time I have here, it is a gift from God. It's not of myself. It's a total gift from God. Therefore, if it is a gift, I need to journey in such a way that I understand that I'm living my gift. I'm living my gift from God, however long God gives it to me. Then if you pick it up in verse 9, notice what it says. My game plan should also bring God glory. What time is it? 6.44 in the morning. 6.44, Tuesday morning. How many of you plan to live your life? You've already thought about today that my plan today is to bring glory to God. Don't raise your hands. My guess is, if we were honest, this is an honest class, no one's had that thought today. Or very few have. Yesterday. No condemnation here. Did you really wake up yesterday saying, I want to bring glory to God? My guess is at some point through the day it may have shown up, but that wasn't your overriding purpose. But that's what God wants it to be. Notice, even in my salvation, what does it say, man? Uh, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Look at verse 9. Not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. What's he saying, no one should boast? He says, none of us should boast in ourselves. None of us should pat ourselves on the back when it comes to our salvation. Instead, when, we, when it comes to our salvation and any spiritual conversation we have, our answer always needs to be pointing to God. God did it. 
through His Son on the cross. I didn't achieve it. If you think about the sliding scale, I can't be good enough. I can't give enough uh, money to charity. I can't be a good neighbor. I can't join a church. I can't attend a church. I I can't be more religious. I can't get dunked in a baptistry. I can't do enough communions. I can't do enough confirmations. I can't do enough. I can't keep the Ten Commandments enough. I can't uh, live the golden rule enough. I can't do any of those things to earn my salvation. Therefore, there's nothing about my salvation in life that I can boast about. The only thing I can boast about, all right, it as I was sinful enough to require God to send His perfect Son to die on the cross for my sins. Let me say that again. When it comes to my salvation, the only thing I can boast about is that I was sorry and sinful enough that God had to look at me and say, the only thing that can save you is that my perfect Son has to die on a cross. And so my plan, as I talk about a spiritual conversation, is what? That I need to bring glory to God. I don't need to walk around patting myself on the back. What did the religious leaders do of Jesus' day? They were always walking around pretty much patting themselves on the back. They would ask Jesus, why do your disciples walk around they break the Sabbath? Why do you do this? Why do they eat without following through with all the washings? Why do they do this? Why do they... What are they doing? They're patting themselves on the back. What are they patting themselves on the back? Their little rules that they had made up in their mind about keeping themselves pure and holy, right? Guys, if we aren't careful, those same rules can can begin to apply in our mind and they can flow out of our conversations when we're trying to share our faith with someone or they say, what does it mean to you to be a Christian? And you go, well, I don't go see R-rated movies. Uh, I don't do this and I don't do this. And the truth is that's not what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? I was sinful enough that God had to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. Does that make sense? And I can't boast about anything but the fact that all I could do was come to the cross and the grace of God by faith. That's all I added. And so, guys, part of my game plan in life means that I should never walk around with a sense that I am holier than anybody, that I am more righteous than anybody. Man, I have received the grace of God in my life by one way, faith. God offered the grace through His Son, Jesus Christ. God offered salvation. All I did was took it by faith, and I received it by faith. So my game plan starts with the grace of God. Man, my, my game, plan, game plan is a gift from God. My game plan should ultimately bring God glory. So my encouragement today, guys, as you begin your day early, is begin to anticipate right now. I'm talking about a plan. Plan right now. Some of you, those of you that are playing ahead, folks, plan ahead right now. How am I going to bring glory to God and not myself? Those of you who are quick thinkers, plan right now to think quickly about pointing to God. Those of you who are wait and see guys, plan to wait and see, but always looking for an opportunity to give glory to God and not bring it on yourself. And we'll, we'll have such more of an effective witness. We won't just survive in our walk with Christ, our faith in Christ, because guess what? I will not have built myself up that, hey, Not many people earned their salvation, but I was real close. 
And a lot of times we live our lives that way. The closer we, the further we walk along in our journey and our life, that's kind of how we can give off that air and that appearance. Man, we need to constantly walk around is understanding it doesn't matter how long I've been in church, how many Bible studies I've been to, how many worship songs I've sung, that the number one thing about who I am is that I understand that I don't deserve any of God's love and any of God's grace. But I'm going to give all the glory to God. If there's anything good in me, it came from God. Now, if you continue to read, notice what it is. What else it says? It says, my game plan is God's masterpiece. I love it as we jump into verse 10. Here's really the game plan aspect. He says, for we are His, talking about God's, for we are His workmanship. That, that word workmanship is the Greek word poema. Uh, we can hear our English word poem in it, right? Now, I want you to know that uh, as you think about this word, it's really not talking about, it's not the Greek word like we think of the English word, bunch of stanzas that rhyme and uh, don't know how many of you guys here are poets, uh, but that's really not the word. Now it's begin to be the word, but in those days, in the essence of this, he says, we are God's craftsmanship. We are God's creation. That's the word, Greek word poema right there. We are God's craftsmanship. He's put us together. Uh, he's created it. Uh, if you look in Psalm 119, the Hebrew translation is, uh, the heavens declare, what is that? The creation of God declare His majesty and His glory. Uh, another place that you can look is Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 20, where Paul uses that same Greek word poema for God's creation, His masterpiece. And if we think about that word, this is what Paul says, for we are God's masterpiece. Guys, that means God has uniquely made each and every one of us. He, we are His creation. He put us together the way He put us together. So, if you're a plan ahead God, God created you that way. If you're a think quickly guy, God created you. If you're a wait and see God, guy, God created you that way. If you're a guy that's tall, if you're short, if you're bigger if you're smaller if you if you love math or if you hate math god created you that way but the point is if god created me that way and i am his masterpiece let me ask you a question what kind of tool or instrument are you in the hands of god or look back over your last day or week or month or couple of months or year if you're God's tool, if you're God's master, master plan, if you're, if you're crafted by God, how have you been used by God to bring Him glory? How has God used you? Now, I want you to know that Bible studies are good, but that's not why God created you. I remember hearing uh, a number of years ago, early on when I was a pastor, years ago at Fairview, we took uh, the, whatever the remnant was of, uh, of leaders to, uh, in the church to a John Maxwell conference. Anybody ever heard of John Maxwell as a leadership conference? Man, I was just looking for leaders. We took them down there. And, and the whole point was uh, of the conference, I don't remember what the, what the term was, uh, but I remember one session in particular that John Maxwell, uh, it was the title of the, uh, of the session was, Let the Laity Get Up. 
In other words, the laity. He made a bunch of jokes about the laity as it thinks that their job is to lay down while the pastor does all the work, right? He says, no, let them get up. And I remember him using a very good illustration. He says, you know, the truth is uh, a lot of times we have this misconception in the church that God desires for us to be a bunch of spiritual porkers. Okay? And I remember going, did he just say porker? And his point was, and he actually took out his napkin, he unbuttoned, he done, took off his tie, he shoved his napkin down, he goes, and this is what most people think Christianity is, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. And he said, a lot of people think the essence of Christianity is being a spiritual porker that they get fed by the pastor in church, then they go to Sunday school, and then they get fed, and then they go to Tuesday morning Bible study, and then they get fed, and then they meet with some guys on Friday morning and get fed, then they have a Saturday morning breakfast, and they get fed, and they listen to Bible study, and they get fed, and they get fed, and they get fed. And his point was, our job, the call of the Christian, is not to get fed. The call of the Christian is to be used by God. If God has crafted us and put us together in such a way that we, sh we can be used by Him. He's given us talents and gifts. How many of you in here have at least one talent? Okay, that's most of us. That's good. Better than the average church, I want you to know. How many of you know you have spiritual gift? All right. How many of you know you have natural abilities? How many of you have resources? Some of you all have stopped raising your hand because you know where this is going, right? How many of you are using all those for God's glory? What happens when we go to the office? We use our talent, we use our ability, we use our resources, we use our skill, we use everything. Then what happens when we go to church? I sit, I listen to a message, I can't wait for it to be over because I've got something I need to do with my talents and abilities and resources other than sit here and listen to a Bible study. How many of you have ever felt that way? I felt that way, guys, about some of my own sermons. When is this going to be over? Right? So listen, <laughs> so don't think you're the only one. I'm like, golly, I'm looking like right now, I've got another 80 minutes. Kidding. But guys, our game plan has to be to take the talents, abilities, and resources that God gave us and created us with and not just use them out there, but to use them also in here. Do we understand that? Do you all understand that? So if you're going to thrive in life, I have to take all those things, and I want you to know, all those things that God gave you, He gave you for you to be wildly successful. I love what Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all for the glory of God. What is Paul saying? Whatever your job is, use your talents, abilities, resources, relationships, everything for His glory. But he's also saying, and when you come to God's house, use all your talents and abilities and natural resources and gifts and relationships that God has given you. Why? Because my game plan is part of God's masterpiece. So he says, for we are God's workmanship, His masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus. Now go on. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. So everybody needs to get this. Prior to salvation, 
Good works get you nothing. How many of you understand that? Good works do not equal salvation. For by grace you are saved through faith. However, after salvation, we are created for good works to do what? To ultimately bring glory to God. So let me give you three reasons that we need to have some good works. Let me give you three. And this is what we're going to close with. Three reasons that you and I should be involved in good works. We should be more than just spiritual porkers. We should be more than just spiritual consumers. Reason number one, you should be doing something for God, is it proves your salvation. It demonstrates your salvation. It doesn't earn your salvation, but it demonstrates your salvation. Notice what Jesus said. These are the words of Jesus, our Savior. This is written in red, Matthew chapter 7, verse 20, right there in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, thus, by their free fruits, you will recognize them. You will know them by their fruits. Yes, yeah, some of y'all, we know your fruits. All right? But when people watch us, although they can't look in our hearts, they should say, I'm pretty sure that guy's a Christian. Does that make sense? Man, whether you're, whether you're fixing someone's roof or you're fixing someone's plumbing or your air conditioning or you're doing something, someone's taxes or you're operating in the workforce, do people look at you and see what you do and hear about what you did and say, I don't know for sure, but I bet that guy's a Christian. They prove that we are who we say we are. Second reason for good works, not for my salvation, but because of my salvation, my good works ultimately should glorify the Father. They prove who I am, and they ultimately prove who I serve. I love what Jesus said. Go one chapter before, two chapters before, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus said, guys, men, we need to let our light shine before other men in such a way that they would see my good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. People see my good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. So, good works, number one, reason for them. They prove who I am, that I am who I am, that I'm a Christian. Number two, my good works should cause others to want to glorify the Father. And then number three, you ready? Good works are ultimately what make our lives meaningful. I love what Titus chapter 3, verse 14 says. He says, our people must learn, our men must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for the urgent needs of others, not living unproductive lives. Guys, if we don't want to waste everything that we are and everything that God created for us, we've got to live our lives in such a way that we do good works. Here's what... Paul says to Titus, he says, instruct them, men, to do good works so that they don't live unproductive lives. What is he talking about? He's saying, in your faith, don't waste your faith. If you and I have trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, but we never do anything to serve God, to honor God, to do good works, if we don't use our talents and our abilities and resources for God and His kingdom, if we don't do any of that, that's an unproductive life. How many of you 
your greatest desire someday is to get to the end of your life and have your family walk in and say, I want to applaud you on a completely unproductive life. How many of you would love to have your sons or your kids walk in and say, Dad, I want to thank you for being nothing? That's what Titus was saying. He was saying, guys, if all we do are take the natural talents and abilities and resources and relationships that God has given us, and all we do is use them to their best out there and never in here for God's kingdom, at the end of the day, you will have lived an unproductive life in your faith. So whether you're a guy that plans ahead, plans to think quickly, or plans to just wait and see, this is a reality. God expects everyone in this room to have a plan to use our talents, our abilities, and our relationships, and our resources to glorify Him. Why? Not for our salvation, but because of our salvation. Let's pray. Father, as we close this idea and this thought, as we've looked over the last couple of weeks and we'll continue to do in the next couple of weeks, God, we know we need power to live on. We need rules to live by. God, every one of us needs a game plan to live out. God, I pray that as we leave here today, that we would take your word and your will for us and we would live it out as masterpieces created by you through faith because of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.